Dear congregation, let us turn in God's holy word to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, and we'll read the entire chapter. Let us hear God's holy word. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world. Therefore, they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this the love of God was manifest toward us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might have life through Him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. We have seen And testify that the Father has sent the Son as the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And He who abides in love abides in God and God in Him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because As he, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen... How can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Amen. May God bless the reading of his precious and infallible word. May he also bless the exposition of it. Dear congregation, behold, your God is a God of love. As a matter of fact, it's stronger than that. John says, God is love. And because God is 
holy and righteous as we saw in the past weeks. And we rightly stand in awe and maybe a a reverent type of a fear of Him. Let us never forget that also God's love is equally amazing. The holiness and justice are counterbalanced by the fact that God is also a God of love. His Actually, His justice is a just love and His holiness is a holy love. God's love is one of those most glorious and the grandest themes in all of the Bible. It's really the whole story of Scripture. God is love. It's a love story of God loving His Son, of God loving His creation, and God so loving the world that He gave His only begotten Son to save His particular people of His love. Sounds good. But the love of God is more than that. I didn't know where else to put this in my sermon, so I'm going to lay it right out front. The love of God is a terrifying prospect. A terrifying prospect. We read in 1 Peter 4, the time has come for judgment to begin in the house of God. It needs to begin here with us first. And then he says something peculiar. What will the end be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Let me put it another way. If God demonstrated His love to us in sending His only begotten Son, the very Son of His love, His well-beloved Son, to die on the cross to be able to pour His infinite wrath upon His Son, to satisfy that wrath against sin that we committed, to satisfy that holy righteousness of God in judging sin. And if God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, what then will the end be for those who trample underfoot the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and call it an unclean thing. To say that they don't need the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ or to say that the blood of Christ is insufficient for them. Such love. The love of God are to give you night terrors if you do not believe the gospel. For what will the end be when you face a holy God with a holy wrath? I can only conclude that the Father's great love for His Son And the fact that you have spurned His Son will be a terrifying prospect.
I don't know if there's any among us who have trampled underfoot the blood of Christ, who don't believe that the blood of Christ is sufficient for you, a sinner, but stand before the love of God and tremble. What a profoundly comforting prospect for those who are united to Christ, united to the love of God. For God is love. I want to look at that with two thoughts. God is love. It's God's awesome perfection. Secondly, a believer's aspiring perfection. God is love, an awesome perfection. In 1 John 4, verse 7, we read, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God, and he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And really what John is saying here, first of all, is that God is the source of love. There's no other place where you can find a true source of love than in God. For love is of God, he says. And secondly, he says, God is love. It's it's interesting. God, God doesn't necessarily say God is, in the Bible anywhere else, that God is righteousness or God is holiness, but God is Light, we know that. God is spirit. God is love. And this is the very essence of who God is. This is the very nature of God. He is love. And that true love, it flows from the triune God. He links that to the triune God here in verse 7 and 8, which we just read, is really in reference to the Father's love. The love of the Father in verses 9 through 11, we find there that this love is found in the Lord Jesus Christ and manifests to us as God sent His only begotten Son into this world. And that He loved us and sent His Son as a propitiation for our sins. It focuses on the Son of His love who, who He's given to us. And in verse 12, He goes on to show us that God abides in us in His love. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us. That, that love that is given by the Spirit to dwell in us and to perfect us. So God the Father is love. God the Son is love. God the Holy Spirit is love. It's not like God the Father is one type of person in the Trinity and and God the Son is love and the Holy Spirit is yet someone else. They're all love. God, the triune God, is love. He's love in Himself. He loves through Himself. And by Him, love is defined. God is love. The source of love and the very being of love. What does this love then look like? This awesome love of God. Well, it's manifest to us. It's shown to us as He's given His only Son 
the only begotten Son, into this world that we might live through Him. He sent Him to be a propitiation for our sins, to take our sins and, and, and to cover them so that we would not have to bear the wrath of God against our sins. And if God so loved us, He says, then we also ought to demonstrate that love in loving others. God has given His Son. He's given the best He had to give. There's nothing greater that God could have given than His only begotten Son for our salvation. And He gave Him to die the cursed death of the cross. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but He loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. He didn't just send the Lord Jesus Christ into this world to show us how to live a good life and to teach us things about God. And He did that. And that's great value and we love to hear His Word from the Gospels. But He gave His Son to die the death of a felon, of a criminal, and to save us from our sin. That's true love. We could look at 1 Corinthians 13 and compare it. 1 Corinthians 13, we all know very well in verse 4 how it talks about what true love is. It suffers long. It's kind. Love does not envy. It doesn't parade itself. It's not puffed up. It doesn't behave rudely. It doesn't seek its own. It's not provoked. It thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but rather rejoices in truth. In other words, true love is patient and kind and not self-centered. It's respectful and rejoices in truth and in purity as it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love is the exact opposite of fear. I'm not talking about a, a holy awe and reverence and fear of God in that way, but a fear that that causes us to, to act in unloving ways. You see, God has nothing to fear because He's God. He doesn't need to be self-centered. He doesn't need to worry if man's going to rise up against Him and tear Him down from His throne. And so God is patient and kind. He doesn't envy because what does he have to envy in man? He doesn't have to parade himself around because he is the king of glory. He is the one who is so transcendent. He doesn't have to seek his own because he owns all. He doesn't have to fear anything being taken away from him. And so he can love purely without fear. And so, God does love. Who does He love? Might be your question. Well, in a general sense, He loves all His creation, all creatures. And we need to make sure that we distinguish that because indeed God does love His creation. And yet, in His creation, man is a peculiar object of God's 
God's affection. Because He's created him as a crown of His creation. He's created him in His own image. In knowledge, knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. And so God has no delight in the death of the wicked. Even though He can't dwell with wickedness, yet He has no delight in their death and in their punishment. Even though He's angry with the wicked every day, He has no delight in their death. He loves them. Now that doesn't mean that God is going to save all those who in this world have fallen in Adam. No. Because He has a specific love for His people. Those who have been given to His only Son. Those who are the sovereign, gracious objects of God's love from all eternity. It's not because we loved Him or there was something lovable in us, but it's because He loved us for reasons within Himself. God loved us first. That's what makes us love Him. He's come to love the unlovable. He's come to love the deformed, the degenerate, His enemies. I don't know if we can comprehend that. God's come to love His peculiar people, His special people, who have been given to His Son in order to be restored to the image of Christ. You know, sometimes we we think of when children are born, and it's, it's so, it's, it can be really sad when children are born and they have great deformities. And they're, sometimes it's even hard to look at, isn't it? And yet for a parent, your heart and your whole being goes out to them in love. You couldn't imagine that child, no matter how deformed that child is, not to be a part of your life. I've witnessed beautiful love in such parents and children. That doesn't even compare to the love that God has for His people who were completely deformed through sin through their own selfish gain, who walked away and trampled upon love and a knowledge of that love in God to seek their own. And so God's love has a goal. It has a commitment to transform us and to conform us as His children. It's like a parent who has a child born with, with deformities and problems. You try, you, you go through surgeries and you, you try to make them as healthy and comfortable as possible. God, through His transforming power and His conforming power of His Holy Spirit, He transforms us. Think about Ephesians 5. That love that often we refer to as husbands or to love their wives 
as Christ loved the church. And, and how does Paul explain how Christ has loved the church? He says he's loved the church so that, and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her through the washing of the word by, or sorry, with the washing of the water by the word. That he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having any spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That she should be holy and without blemish. That's how Christ loved the church. He gave himself for her and now is transforming her and conforming her to purity and holiness and righteousness. To his image. That's what love is. So husbands ought to love their own wives, says Paul. There's no one who hates your own flesh. There's no one who stands in front of the mirror and sees, just how ugly can I make my face? Sure, you women don't do that. Might even add a few things to make it look more beautiful. Isn't that what God is doing? And His love by sending His Spirit to to beautify us from the inside out, not from the outside. In order to present a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. I think of another example in Hebrews chapter 12. A father loves his children. In Hebrews chapter 12, Paul is saying that the love of God is a love that disciplines us and corrects us and chastens us. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. That's love. I just want to back up a moment. Now think about this kind of love, the love of God that would discipline you and bring you through trials and difficulties and purify you and do whatever it takes to make you the object of His love in Christ Jesus. And then to think about what would the world define love as? What does the world define love as? A kind of Warm, fuzzy feeling, feel good, motivating, whatever it would be. That's what the world would call love. If it feels good, it must be love. I can tell you, discipline and scrubbing away the filth of a body is not necessarily a good feeling. That's the love of God. That's pure love. And if that's the goal of love, the love of God ought to be a believer's aspiring perfection. We ought to aspire to have that same love, says John. If we know God the Father, we will love. If we know the Son, we will love. If we know who God is, in His being, in His nature, that God is love, we will love, says John. 
If we know the gift of His Son, we will love. Because we've known love and we are to love. Beloved, He says, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. It really begins back in 1 John 3. Or you could even go way back to, to the upper room discourse uh, that John had uh, written in, in John 13 through 17. And where Jesus calls this new commandment to aspire, aspire to that we would love one another. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And it begins with loving one another. Isn't that what we remember also in the way of the Lord's Supper? In celebration of it, I, I, it always strikes me when we read the form for the administration of the Lord's Supper that in the Lord's Supper, God is bringing us together by His same Spirit to be united as members of His body, of one body, in true Christian love. And he goes on to use this example that as many grains are ground to prepare one loaf of bread and as many grapes are pressed together to produce one wine, so by true faith we are incorporated into Christ and we should be one body through Christian love. Why? For the sake of our dear Savior Jesus Christ who loved us so greatly in order for us to show love to one another. The love of God in Christ Jesus ought to motivate us, aspire us to keep this perfection of God. God is love and we ought to aspire to it. We ought to strive for it in other words. This ought to be our goal in life is to be perfected in His love. Look what John says in verse 12, No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love has been perfected in us. When we are loving one another, it gives evidence that God's perfect love is in us. And it's abiding in us by His Holy Spirit. And that love continues to be perfected in us, he says in verse 17. Love having been perfected among us in this, that we have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. We are reflections of his love in this world. That love is being perfected in us and witnessed to the world. That's what we need to aspire to. That's what we need to strive for in our lives, in our Christian lives. Not because we, we can become lovable to God or not because we can merit anything, but because God loved us and dwells in us in His love. Well, how does that happen? Well, it doesn't happen in, necessarily in a vacuum. It happens when we put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and we receive Him and His sacrifice and are filled with His Holy Spirit and we come to understand the depths of His love. 
then we find that who are we to be such selfish, unloving people? You see, when the Holy Spirit works in us, it shows us just what we deserve. He shows us that we have no right to be called children of God. And that indeed God loved us so that we would love Him and one another in a selfless, Christ-like way. That love that doesn't seek first my own self, to seek to put myself on a pedestal or to seek my own gain, but rather a love that sacrifices everything for others. Isn't that why John says, perfect love casts out fear? You know, one of the worst things that happens to a Christian is we might start thinking, we might start thinking that somebody's going to get ahead of us in life. And we might fear that person and we might fear that it might have impacts on our business or our occupation or our family or whatever. And we want to tear them down rather than extend love. But see, what love does is love is like that open hand it's of selflessness. A selfless love will, will pray not only for my friends and my congregants and, and the members in my congregation and my family, but it'll pray for my enemies. It'll pray for everyone in this world. It doesn't segregate people. It prays and unites people. Love is, is to visit and to care for those who are in need. Think about in 1 John 3. John says, By this we know love because he laid down his life, so we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Verse 17, he says, But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? We care for the needs of others. We visit them in their afflictions. We provide for them in their afflictions. We give of ourselves. We think the best of others and not the worst. We encourage others in the Lord. But I think one of the biggest things we need to think about when we think about love and to be pure in love is to think about this preserving aspect that we are called to have to guard true love. How are we to persevere and preserve the love and the witness of God's love in our lives? Well, maybe we need to think about the obstacles that lie in the path. Like our pride. 
One of the greatest obstacles for love is pride. It's devastating. When we love ourselves, our ideas, our traditions, and, and when we're confronted, our tempers flare, and we try to justify everything we think, and, and it shows that we don't truly love in our hearts. Love will listen. Love will engage. Love will think the best of people. When we think of a love for this present world rather than a love for God, we can recognize how that can be such a damaging witness to the world around us and the glamours of this world get in the way of us loving God above all and our neighbors ourselves. When keeping up with the Joneses and all the stuff that society thinks we need, it keeps us busy from loving, our, loving one another. Maybe even creating jealousy and envy as we lust after the material goods of this world. How are we going to root out those obstacles? How are we going to root out that obstacle of that one person that you just can't get over? One person who's just a thorn in the flesh all of the time. One that always just digs in and seems to aggravate you and frustrate you. and Sometimes you wake up all these frustrating and evil thoughts in your mind and you think, well, I'm no better than Cain. If it would only be for this one person, I would do pretty good in loving The only place I can direct you to your congregation is to the cross and there to meditate on the love of God. While we were still sinners, while there was nothing lovable in us, while we were still enemies of Him, He gave His own Son. Knowing our old sinful nature, knowing our unworthiness of grace, and we've tasted something of the love of God, then how can we love even the most unlovable person in your life? Christ has given us a new commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. Let us never forget, as Satan hates He absolutely hates it when God's image is radiating and shining in light and love. He hates it. He wants us to redefine love and deconstruct love and make love to be something that it isn't and remember that love is for our good. Love 
one another means to seek to purify them, even as God is purifying us. It's to come alongside them and and to confess that we are all struggling in the same sins and that you seek to encourage one another to more godliness and faithfulness. To discipline one another even at times and disciple one another in love. Because there when the world sees that God's people love one another, they see God. They see His glory. They see Him as love. You don't have to worry about them seeing you. You want them to see God and His love. My little children, you know the Apostle John? He was tired and he was old. And the story goes as this. He was carried up to the front of the church that he was going to preach in. And he was tired. And he had a short message. Love one another. I don't know what struggles you have in this. But I know when I look at my own heart, there's nothing real beautiful about it. There's no, nothing real beautiful about the love in my own heart. Just be honest with your own heart and your own life. Can we say that we love as Christ loved? As God is love? Is, is that being demonstrated among us? I know there's difficult times and tense times. But we were able to celebrate the Lord's Supper today and to witness His love, His mercy, His patience, His long-suffering character. Will we be that for one another? That the world outside these doors would see that God lives in us? That His Spirit is in us? I can take on all kinds of forms and we could spend all afternoon talking about it. We just need to ask ourselves the real heart question. Is God's love in us? Because if it's not, that is the most terrifying of all His attributes.
It really is. Because I can't imagine standing before God in the face of the love he has for his son. And to know that love, to have heard of that love, and not to have received that love. Let us love one another. Because love is of God. Amen. O God of love and grace and mercy, we can look at our own hearts and lives and we know we don't even come close to that infinite love that you have shown to us and even demonstrated to us. And so we cast ourselves on your mercy, Lord, and ask that you would fill us with your Spirit. We would love one another even as you have loved us. And so go with us in the forgiveness of all of our sins. For Jesus' sake, amen.